What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest is MDV. That's Matt Dillavalli. He is the chief fitness officer. It's a different kind of CFO than you're used to at NC Fit, which services thousands of people every single day to help them live healthier lives. Matt has an awesome, awesome past to talk about. And when I say awesome, I just mean diverse, cool, interesting. He's a lawyer who decided not to be a lawyer. He's done everything from work in the deli to coach in the class to work for Again Faster, which is a fitness company on imports and exports. He has done all of the things and all of the things that he did led him to what he's doing right now. And the reason I wanted to have Matt on is because I believe that it's important for you to be where your feet are and keep an eye on where you want them to go. But be where your feet are. And Matt is a great example of how to do that with excellence and lead yourself to where you're capable of going. I'm going to get you to MDV in just a moment here. The thing I really want you to take out of this podcast, because it's what I took out of it most, is the way that he focused on where he was at every point in his career, because that's what led him to where he is now, and it's what will lead him to where he is going. Let's get you to it. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client, and we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And The honest answer is always, it depends, and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead, check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. MDV, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Dr. Sean, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I don't know if you remember. I think that the first time that we actually met, you dropped into my gym in Island Park. In oh, I remember everything. Everything. Yeah. Perfect. I, I think I remember the workout that we did that day. It was a, a muscle up and power, power clean workout, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was. I. The yeah. reason I remember that is I remember you came in with Allison Bushy at the time. Yep. And I, and we were still like trying to get women to be able to do muscle ups. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, this one clearly knows how to do them. And you were the person who came with her. <laughs> yep. Yep. There were so, also double unders that day, I think. Yeah. No, I, I remember CrossFit Island Park and, uh, yeah, it was a cool little gym. It was, a, it was, a, was that an old, um, garage at one point, like an old, uh, automotive garage? So it was, a, we were next door to automotive garage on gotcha. both sides. It was a, uh, manufacturing facility. Uh, so the, the reason that we were so uh, enticed to take that location is our previous location. We had gotten sued by our next door neighbor for making too much noise. Oh, the old noise. Yeah. yeah. And so in this one, we won the lawsuit, by the way. But in this one, uh, we were in between two automotive shops and our backyard was the train. So I'm like, if anybody <laughs> complains about our noise, which by the way, did happen the last year I owned the gym, a guy who was across a six lane road. Yeah. And, you're on, isn't that Lawson Boulevard? Yes. It's well, like it's, the craziest it's, road on Long Island. It's Austin Boulevard. Yeah. And then Austin Boulevard, it was, yeah. it was, we have six lanes and then there was like a little Island in between where there's a, like a drive through dairy. And then there's yeah. a two lane. And this guy was across the street from that. And he complained about the noise, man. I drove that route probably more times than I can count because, uh, growing up, always going down to the beach from, from where I grew up. And then, uh, I was an ocean lifeguard for, for eight years. So I would drive that all the time. Yeah. Was Gillespie your guy? No, no. I was at town of Hempstead. So, uh, point lookout, but, um, 
No, I know, I know very well that area. Yeah. Well, so that, that brings me to my first question, because you mentioned that you were a lifeguard here. And my first question is, how many things, Matt, did mm. you do before you figured out the thing that you wanted to do? It's a good question. Um, we're off to a good start. Uh, yeah, no, no, this is a great start. I, I, um, I'm still kind of figuring out the, the thing that I ultimately want to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who I'm never really completely satisfied with where I'm at. And that's a, a gift. And it's also a curse. Um, I always want to be doing and creating more. So even my current role at NC Fit, it's evolved a tremendous amount from when I first came into the company four years ago to where I am right now. And, um, you know, it will continue to evolve with the new things that we're doing. But to answer your question more directly, I went through uh, all of my education, my college and law school with the idea that I was going to be a big fucking shit lawyer in New York and work in Manhattan and wear a three-piece suit and, you know, have... uh, power suit, power tie, power steering. And, uh, that, uh, eroded away pretty quickly when the economy just went to shit in 2008, 2009. Uh, but even before that, I was, uh, I actually taught Spanish at a high school, Chaminade high school, the high school that I went to for a year. Okay. I had taken a little time off between college and law school to work on my resume and they happened to call me up some for some reason flagged my resume and uh, asked me to come and teach Spanish in high school because they had uh, the students had run the previous professor out of the building with pitchforks. They uh, <laughs> they destroyed this guy's life, <laughs> which is terrible, <laughs> but gave me an opportunity. And um, I had also been doing and coaching CrossFit throughout that period. So I was doing those things while also going to law school and thinking that I was going to transition into being a lawyer. And uh, I guess at that time, you know, if you look at 2009, when I was figuring out how I wanted to take my career, I had this thing that I really loved to do, which was coach and do CrossFit. And uh, I knew that I wasn't really going to put all my eggs into the law basket anymore. I was searching for opportunities in the space. I was looking at companies like uh, rogue fitness. I was looking at companies like again, faster. Those were the big players at the time I was talking to people over at uh, CrossFit HQ. Reebok really wasn't on the scene just yet. And I ended up taking a role as uh, the director of operations of again, faster. And that's what brought me up to Boston and then put me into the CrossFit new England circle. And I was coaching at CrossFit new England and working for again, faster at the same time. So I was kind of parallel pathing, coaching the entire time that I was also doing these other things. And, um, it came to a point where I had to make a decision to leave again faster, um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I didn't really agree the direction that the company was going. Um, rogue was trying to, or was very successfully taking everything they were doing and vertically integrating. And we were going this route a little bit more on like, how are we going to get as much shit from China and India and then ship it to all these different places? And I was like, we're going to lose this battle here. And I ended up taking a full-time role with Ben at CrossFit New England. And that's really where my coaching career, uh, I guess you could say it started off uh, full-time as my sole focus. So around mid-2009, 2010, it became the only thing that I did for a while. Well, and do you coach classes all day now? I do not right now. No, no. So I coached classes, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, I was coaching at CrossFit New England as a full-time trainer. I eventually got an opportunity to join the staff at Reebok CrossFit One, I think around 2012 or 2013. And I was still coaching full-time. I went over there and became a full-time trainer on their staff. I worked my way onto CrossFit seminar staff. Um, I was on that team for four years. I was coaching full time. Um, But then also in 2015, 16, maybe 26, 2016. Fuck, man. A lot of time has passed. Reebok approached me about um, helping them to manage the Reebok and CrossFit relationship from the corporate side of the equation. I had been loosely putting some feelers out about whether or not there would be an opportunity to expand my skill set while still coaching. And then the powers that be at Reebok kind of fingered me for a, a position, which would be the liaison between 
Reebok and CrossFit. And that was really a great role for me because I was essentially able to just transmit the culture of what I had been knowing and loving for so many years into this corporate uh, behemoth into Reebok. And they wanted me to just do and say and act the way that uh, uh, someone who really knew the CrossFit community would. So my job was to essentially check a lot of the things that we were doing and be the relationship manager between high level athletes, different organizations, CrossFit HQ. I worked directly with James Hobart at the time. He was my counterpart on the CrossFit side. And that's at the time when um, I got to know Jason much better and, and much more deeply. And um, he and I developed a strong relationship. We thought it would be a good fit for me to leave Reebok and come work for NC Fit. So um, at that time that I was working for Reebok, I was still on CrossFit seminar staff, nearly working uh, every weekend and still coaching classes here or there. I also uh, had the opportunity to buy into CrossFit One Nation at the time and became a, a part owner of that gym and was coaching classes there, whether it's mornings or nights and weekends um, while I was doing the, the Reebok gig. So, yeah, it's been like a whole lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, well, the reason I brought that up is I, I have a very similar past except in very different things. It's yeah. It, one of the things I want to discuss with you and I told you before we started was the idea that in order to get where, where you are, there are things that people must learn how to do both first competently, then proficiently, and then laterally. You know, do this, do this well, do the next thing that this applies to. And yeah. I think a lot of people rush from first thing to last thing. So I want I wanted to have you share that spread, if you will. I have a <laughs> statement and I have a question. The statement is sure. there's no way you were a three piece suit guy. You <laughs> well, you, I, I'm going somewhere. I don't think you you think I'm going. You definitely would should be, if I can give you some style advice here, which I don't think I should. Let's do it. The glasses are great. The watch is great. The hair is great. The tattoos are great. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't. But you, I think, would have been the lawyer with the vest underneath the jacket so that when the jacket comes off, people can be like, oh, damn, that's a fit dude. But he still Well, has. that is the three-piece suit. I that's thought the three-piece suit is the jacket, the vest, and the pants. Oh, well, there you right? go. So see? I shouldn't, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't give you style advice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I should have been the lawyer in the suspenders so you could see like the pecs coming through. You could do take that. Off the <laughs> you could do that too. You could do that too. So the question is, um, when, when, when you're looking for, let me backtrack on how I asked this. Sure. One of the things for me that would be a red flag in hiring an MDV, that would also be the wrong reason to not hire you. I want to be, I want to be clear about that would be that you've held so many positions in so many different companies. And there's, there, there could be the perspective that like, well, you're telling me I should do the kinds of things that MDV is doing, but that to me sounds like non-committal. Mm. So do you, do you follow what I'm describing there? Yes. And, sure. and one of my adages is I'd rather have exceptional for a short period of time than average forever. So yeah. it wouldn't be a reason I wouldn't hire. One of the things I would ask you is why do you think that this is a, a, a phase of your career that you're going to be able to stay in and enjoy for a long enough period of time to bring value to the company. So how, how do you make those decisions about the jobs that you take? Good question. Um, two for two. So, uh, I, I was always of the mindset that I was going to work as fucking hard as possible in the job that I had. Uh, and not, not ignore other opportunities that might be around. I was, I was kind of always having conversations with people. It, it was a very, it was a time in my life when I was a bit confused. I had a little bit of a crisis of personality at some points too, because you come out of this path of education where you think you're going to go and do this big, amazing thing and be cashing these big checks and, you know, have this really highly prestigious job. And then you end up well, I was, you know, working in a deli, making money uh, before I uh, joined again faster. I was fucking mopping floors at CrossFit The Rock in the basement of Sportset. And I'm making 20 bucks an hour. And, you know, that that hourly wage continued through CrossFit New England until I earned a full time role there. And, you know, I think some of that for me was it was a shot to my ego that uh, I had done all of these things. I had worked so hard. And then I, I felt in some senses like I had took this big step back, but 
the more I embraced the fact that this was, this was going to be my path and I could make this path anything that I wanted it to be. I would just have to apply the same things that made me successful through college and law school and, and help me to really excel in, in that, in those areas. If I apply that same stuff here, if I'm going to be the hardest worker at all times, if I'm going to make sure that I'm time managing properly, if I'm going to be professional and I'm still going to have fun with things, I, I knew that I would be able to move to places that maybe, may, maybe other people hadn't yet. And I was always working my way out of roles, you know, I, <clears throat> and sometimes that was frustrating because I, I really loved the places that I was at, you know, at, at CrossFit New England, I really loved that gym and that community. And I, I worked really hard there, but at, at one point it felt like I worked my way to as far as I could go with them at that time. And through no fault of, of bands or anybody else there, but comp train really hadn't started. He was just starting to do, uh, uh, the box seminar, the business of excellence seminar, and the opportunities weren't, weren't just flowing like wine at that time. It, it, it was either we can think about opening a gym together, which for me had a lot of risks that I didn't know if I wanted to take at that time, or it was, Hey, you can continue to stay here and, and coach on our staff, but also I'm not going to hold you back if you want to go and spread your wings. And, you know, in hindsight, I really appreciate Ben for that because he didn't, he didn't try to keep me down. You know, he allowed me to go and do these other things. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it's good. Rambling. I, no, I, I, at some times in my career, I felt that I did a good job of really just staying focused and doing the job the best that I could. But then there were also other times when I, I did get impatient with my own progress. And, and some of that is ego driven. Some of that's being insecure about where I came from and, and, and what I thought I should be doing. And I'm better. I have been better at snapping myself out of that. But, you know, the the path that I took, it certainly wasn't a straight line to um, chief fitness officer or whatever you want to call me here at NC fit. This thing was a, a weird serpentine winding path. And I just always tried to do whatever job I had in front of me, the best that I possibly could learn the most from the people that I was around, get the most out of that. And if other opportunities started to arise, yeah, I was going to have those conversations, but I also wasn't going to let those distract me from the work that I had to do. You know, I think a lot of people, if they're thinking that where they are right now is not what they want to be, they tend to take their focus away from the current, from the present. And they start to focus on the future, like fucking 10 steps down the road. But you're not going to get two steps out of where you are if you're not focusing on the current and not doing that to the best of your ability. You're going to be constantly held back because you're underperforming. So, yeah, I, I did put my antennas up. I did look around the space uh, uh, quite a bit and making sure that I wasn't missing out on anything. But I always made sure that I was doing the current thing at, as best I could. Well, I think that... First of all, I want to commend you for the vulnerability that you share in talking about this. Part of the, part of this is insecurity and where, you know, I wanted, I, you graduated law school, you had opportunities to work at high power law firms that kind of fell apart during the, the recession of 2008, 2009. And it's natural for you to, in the back of your mind, be like, man, if I just took that path and stayed that path, what kind of money would I be making? What kind of, what kind of accolade would I have? What kind of prestige would you be talking about me? And, and to know that you're capable of that and to choose a path that you have more passion in, take some real fucking balls. And I, <laughs> and, and, and I commend you for that. I think it's very cool. You know what? It doesn't, it doesn't end either, Sean. Uh, Sean. It, I pull up LinkedIn and I start looking at people who I graduated law school with uh, fuck, my, oh, 11 that. years ago now, 12 years ago. These guys are all high-powered partners at big firms and doing these crazy things. But I have to pull myself back from that. It's not a you can't compare yourself to those people in their path, uh, at least for me. It, it doesn't mess me up like it used to. But you also need to just continue on where you're at and worry about your own self. You know what I mean? Yeah. Comparison's a thief of joy, man. I mean, I, I don't think I've told this story in the podcast, but I'll, I'll give you a brief background of it. I, I was in Hong Kong in 2011 with my wife and mm. my uncle was an executive at an investment bank. 
And while we were there, the managing director who reported to him offered me a, a career. He's like, I, I was there. I was already going to be opening my gym in October. And he offered me a career that would have had me earning seven figures within, you know, before I was 30. Oof. And he told me, you know, you can keep your girlfriend if you want or send her home. You don't even need to go home. <laughs> we'll get you an apartment. We'll furnish it. We'll get, you know, just buy a new wardrobe and your, your new yeah. life is in Hong Kong. It's your God given right to make millions of dollars in finance because of who your uncle is. And I was like, it's not how I want to earn my living, you know? And there were, sure, there were years where I was like, damn, I made $27,000 last year and I worked 16 hour days, five days a week, 12 on Saturday and just lamented Sunday why I wasn't successful. And you think about what if I took that job? Oh yeah. And that it's never gone, but it's, I can relate to it being like, yeah, well I'm, I'm confident in my path yeah. and it's not what I wanted to do. So I, I relate to your story there. Yeah. It's, it, it can be, you know what it's, it can be, if you have the right perspective on it, it can be a little fun, the, the opportunity that you had or the opportunities that I might've had, it can be just a little fun and tempting sometimes to think about, Oh man, like what could have, what could life have been? It would have been fucking so completely different. It would have been like a wild different life. And I think it's, it's cool to think about that for a little bit, but don't get too tripped up on that stuff. And like, um, I'm talking to anybody out there who's doing anything where they had a missed opportunity or they think that they took the wrong turn here or there, because if the same thing, if you're thinking uh, about the past, similar to how we talked about thinking about the future, you're still not thinking about the present. So you're still not making the most out of whatever you could be doing right now. Well, I think that one of the reasons in listening to your story, I, I mean, I binged your podcast over the last two weeks. I think, I think I've listened to every episode. You're welcome. Um, I wanted to be prepared to talk to you. You know, I, I have a loose background, but I wanted to know the guy better than I knew the guy. Um, one of the reasons why I believe that you've been able to achieve the level of success that you have. And when I say success, I don't know how much money Matt makes. I don't know what Matt does day in and day out. I just know that from everything I hear from you, you're doing right now what you want to be doing right now. And to me, that's, that's the definition of success. So the reason that you've been able to do that is because everywhere that you've been, you put everything that you had into what you were doing. And a lot of people, I think, miss that. They start focusing on the next thing before they get really good at the, the thing that they're in. Can you speak to how somebody who right now is coaching and maybe one day wants to get into management, one day wants to get into gym ownership, whatever have you, how do they focus on being a great coach right now when it's not what they want to do long term? So uh, is the question, how does that person do the job to the best of their ability? Or how does that person maintain focus on the current without thinking too far about the future? I think it's both. It's because it's, I think that to say focus on the current means you have to be a great coach. Like right now yeah. you're a coach. You have to be a great coach. You're yeah. not going to be a great leader of coaches until you've been a great coach. For sure. But For so, sure. but I so, think, go ahead. No, I think that that statement summed it up beautifully. I, I, I mean, um, but how do they know? Somebody, how do they know though? You know, every, every, I don't think if you pulled coaches, are you a good mm -hmm. coach? How many of them are going to, everybody's going to say yes to that. <laughs> right. right. So, how, so how do they really do the, the audit of themselves? Oh, that takes a whole lot of honesty, man. And a whole lot of vulnerability and uh, peer review and you have to be open to feedback and getting that feedback from people and making sure that you're implementing it and you're not just staying stagnant. You're not just uh, stuck in your ways. Um, you know, like, like I said, I think, I think if you asked most coaches out there, whether or not they're a good coach or even a great coach, most, most coaches are going to fucking snap answer. be like, yes, I'm the best coach. And the sad truth to that is that most of them probably are not the best coach. Maybe they're good coaches. Maybe they're good. They're probably good people. Um, but they're probably not the best coach. Um, that takes a lot of work and it takes doing things that are probably uncomfortable to that individual. And the, one of the things that I see, one of the, the get, one of the gifts and the curses about this coaching game that we're all in is that it, it allows people to have a lot of fun while doing the, while doing the job. It, it can be an incredibly fun and fulfilling profession in which the person 
completely enjoys what they do uh, to an extent kind of incomparable to almost any other job out there. There's very few jobs that are as fun as coaching. That's great. It can always be fun. It should always be fun, but it can also lead to extremely high levels of comfort. And you can start doing or not doing things that will keep you stuck in that role in that same state and not allow you to progress forward. It's really, it's quite easy to wake up and put on sweatpants and a hoodie and go coach two or three classes in a row. That's fucking easy. It's also easy to hang out at the gym all day and eat uh, grilled chicken and broccoli and rice out of a glass container and do three workouts a day and think that you're going to go to the fucking games. That's easy. That There's nothing hard about that. The hard part about this is being the person who knows exactly when they should be coaching, where and when they need to be. They've prepared the night before. They're going to show up 15 to 20 minutes early. They're going to have the lights on. They're going to have the music playing. The whiteboard's going to be written up. They're going to have a fucking badass class start to finish because they prepared so damn well. They're going to be hustling for whether or not it's private trainings or group, uh, group training, group private training. They're going to be doing other things aside from just those one or two hours in which they're coaching. They're going to get their training in because they know it's something that they need to and should do. And they want to stay physically fit and represent the program, but they're going to sacrifice the other two or three hours a day that all the other coaches are training. And maybe that person is going to do some, additional professional development. They're going to go have a conversation or a meeting with somebody who's in the space or outside of the space and continue their journey on. They're going to be doing the things that nobody else wants to do, doing the things that are on the fringe of their job description that if you ask somebody, you go, is that your responsibility to do? And most coaches would be like, yeah, not really. You know, we have somebody who cleans up around here. I, I just kind of coach the classes. That person who wants to get to the top is going to fucking claw their way through all of those duties and do them better than anybody else to stand out. You know, one of the things that, oh, that blows my mind and still blows my mind to this day is that Ben was a very, Ben, Ben Bergeron is a, he's a go getter type of person. He, at least when I was working with him, this dude would go out and do shit around the gym that nobody else wanted to do. He would just start doing it. He wouldn't ask people to come and help him. He would just like, Hey, all the tires, and this is at a time in CrossFit New England when things were a little bit less kind of um, manicured and less like refined, but we had like tires laying around outside and they all have like fucking water in them or whatever. He would go out and start dumping the tires out or like cleaning up the trash around the tires. I, like I would jump up. I'm going to try and go and help this guy over here. This is my boss. This is the guy that signs my checks and he hasn't asked me to, I'm not getting paid to, but like, why wouldn't you go and help that person out? I, to this day, I see coaches who, if the boss or the owner is doing something and it's blatantly obvious that they're doing something for the betterment of the gym, that the coach will just continue to sit there and watch the owner do this menial task and then expect that that person is going to be the same person that's going to turn to them and offer them more money or more opportunity. It's, it's, it blows my mind. My, my brain wants to melt out of my ears about how ass backwards that is. Uh, can, so, can, can I speak to that? Yeah, yeah. So I agree with you. I agree with you. The, the, within, within limits. And mm -hmm. I think that if the coach starts doing things that are outside of their job description, not the things that are in their job description on the fringe of their job description, the yeah. things that are outside of it, then they run the risk of resenting the ownership for not paying them for to do sure. things that they shouldn't be doing. And even if they think they did it really well, it's like, I understand you think you did that well. Here are all the messes that you created for other people to fix the thing you didn't do very yes. well. <clears throat> yes. That's one problem. The other side of that is the gym owner you're working for, Ben, was an entrepreneurial guy. You could probably sense that even when he only owned CrossFit New England. I think that a lot of coaches work for gym owners who aren't entrepreneurial, who aren't as selfless. And so now when they see the gym owner doing something, they're, they're like, Oh good. He's finally fucking doing something. <laughs> <clears throat> and they, and they don't want to chip in because it's yeah. like, no, 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 we do everything around here and he's finally doing something. Let him see what it's like to do some work. <laughs> do, do you follow <laughs> me on that? Yeah, those are both really strong points. I think in particular, the, the first point there is, is, is extremely strong that 
Stu, Stu from what the fuck Jim talk was talking about this whole, um, you know, compensation and fulfillment, uh, mm-hmm. teeter totter. Right. And yeah. And, uh, that the fulfillment super high when you first start your job, uh, and you're super psyched up, but what you were saying there, man, if, if you're constantly doing things that are outside of your job description or even creating messes, right. And then it leads to tension. That fulfillment tank is going to, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be drained really, really quickly. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There's obviously limits. You, you can build up resentment for doing or taking on things that you don't get paid for. Um, you know, in the example that I was talking through, it's, it's stuff that's a little bit on the fringe, you know, the stuff that I think that generally any coach that cares about the facility could or should do where you were, you were speaking of trash and you were speaking to dignity. Yes. That's how I look at it. You're like, hold on, you're going to coach a class and the athletes in that class are going to flip that tire. Are you going to wait for the first one to just get wet? (laughs) Is that, is that the game plan here? Like, how do you want people to look at you? And I think that that's what you're speaking to. And, And that, that should be a part of anybody's job description. Have, have dignity in your job. Now, the, and, and maintain the space that you quote unquote own and that mm-hmm. your athletes are going to play in or, or work out in and make sure that that space is representative of the experience that, that you want them to have. Well, and, and part of that, I've seen you, I love the way that you post with the post-its, by the way, you, sh- <laughs> you should buy stock because you're going to blow through a lot of post-its. Oh, I already have. I bet. But if, if people haven't seen them on, on Matt's, yeah, on his Instagram account, He'll write a little statement, swipe to the next carousel, another supporting argument, kind of like a lawyer, right? <laughs> Making his case. And I think it's a really striking way to get people through the, the education you're looking to provide. And one of the ones that you, you made was especially stood out to me, especially two of them we're going to discuss. The first one is, sure. um, it's not okay to wear dirty sweatpants. Right. So, and I, and, and I want to, I want to get into the depth of this because when I read that, the reason it stood out so much is I wanted to make sure the people who saw that post didn't just say like, Oh, okay, I'll wear clean sweatpants. It's like, no, there's a reason why you don't wear dirty sweatpants. And it speaks to who you are about what you decide to put on. I would love for you to speak about that. Yeah. Uh, this has kind of been a joke for me long before I got into coaching where it's like, I'll I'll be out in public or whatever. And sometimes I'll go out in public and be wearing like some joggers or whatever. And, but I try to be presentable wherever I go. I I don't like to look like I just rolled out of bed or like I, you know, you found me under some overpass cooking beans over a fire. (laughs) Like, but you know, you see some people out and, in public. And I'm not trying to judge people, man. I also hate that aspect of this, but you know, sometimes you look at somebody in the way that they roll up to like a restaurant or like even the coffee shop and they they look like they just gave up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, that sends a message. It's regardless of what that person chooses. Yeah. You you feel free to wear whatever, whatever you want, wherever you want, all good. But if I was somebody in a position where I had something to offer that person in terms of like, a job or in terms of an opportunity or whatever, I'd be like, uh, probably not. You know, it just, (laughs) it just reflects on the way that you view yourself. And, you know, in particular, when we're talking about coaches, if, if you're going to tell me that you're a professional coach, but you roll up to the gym in the sweatpants that you slept in looking like literally you just rolled out of bed. uh, I have some issues with that. And, Mm -hmm. I think it also reflects on how that person views the profession as a whole. And then also as a consequence, it influences how other people view the profession as a whole. You know, I think that we all have this responsibility. We're all in this kind of like weird relationship with one another where the actions of coaches, they do reflect on how other people perceive coaching. So I, I want everybody to, to do a little bit better, to, to be a little bit more professional. I think that it only helps rise the tides. It helps, it helps change the public perception a little bit, helps change the way that we get paid or how people think about what we do, but it also changes the way that you think about what you do. And that's more important than any of the external stuff I just talked about. I'd like to be a star witness. 
to the, to the case you just made. We, we talk about, um, the four ways that you can earn trust on purpose. The four things that must be true. If you want people to trust you, not by accident, just because you show up right, but on purpose because you put thought into it and because you want people to trust you. And the first of those four things is have high propriety and propriety just means look the part, smell neutral to good, (laughs) you know, be on time. These are the things that represent high propriety. And we talk about how it goes beyond just showing up at the gym in the appropriate uniform. If you're the best coach in the world and Mary has been trying to get her friend Brenda to join the gym for four months because of how great of a coach you are and she takes your class every day and then she sees you at the coffee shop and you're hungover from the night before. You're wearing socks and your flip-flops, oversized (laughs) oversized sweatpants, a hoodie, and you still smell like alcohol. And she's like, oh my God, Brenda, that's MDV. He's, that's the coach. And she's like, that guy? Yeah, okay. That's the guy. <laughs> I'm not joining the gym. I'm sorry. I don't trust you anymore. Your judgment is a disaster, but this is not happening. Yeah. And I had, I had a mentor for a short period of time, actually, who discussed that when he would hire people, when he would interview people, somebody from his staff would go out and inspect the car that they pulled up in. And if the car was a mess inside, they would just walk into the office during the interview and tell him, I'm really sorry. I need to grab you for something really quickly. Mm. And then it was just, I'm sorry, we'll continue this interview another time. I'll, I'll let you know how this goes. And they don't hire the person. So it's, it speaks to, I believe it speaks to how seriously you take your own, your, your own importance. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that that's something that, you know, the, more, more coaches need to embrace that idea of high propriety, that it, it all matters. And and not that you have to be on 24, seven, 365 in a way that is stifling and suffocating, but there is a level of responsibility that you have to take in regards to the position that you have or want to have in terms of being a beacon of, of health and fitness and, and a person who's inspirational and, and somebody who these people look up to. And I, that comes with having to make some, some sacrifices in things that might be very easy to do or things that you might not have thought about before, but well, I so, agree. High propriety. So I want, I want, I want to carry this into the next part of the conversation, which sure. is how, simple yet difficult it can be for a coach to ascend themselves to the position of a coach who can earn an income a coach who can be sustainable a coach who can call this potentially a career right Mm -hmm. and this is one of the places where i i want to i want to get real clarity on on your position on it sure and and that is that i believe because it's so difficult and so simple it becomes doing mundane things over and over and over and over and over and over again and refining. And you mentioned that people should stop calling themselves just a coach, right? It's the most important person. I don't remember the exact language. I have my phone here. I was going to look it up, but I, whatever. Um, but I've also heard you talk about that. You're, you don't necessarily believe that coaching is a career. And I, w- I would, l- the, the reason why I want to, I want to yeah. get your clarity on that is I believe that you are still a coach for sure. I am still a coach and that we don't coach athletes in a group class anymore, but we're still coaching. And yes. the only way to get there is to assume when you first start that you can make a career out of coaching to make it worth it, to do the hard things to get where either one of us are right now. Yeah. I'm curious your take on that. Um, so that, that post that you were talking about was, oh, um, I have a photo of it. no, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. It was a post that was, uh, like you were saying, when, when somebody refers to themselves as just a coach, mm-hmm. you are taking yourself and putting yourself in a category below where I think you can be that you are, hands down the most important health and fitness uh, and nutrition influence in this person's life who's in front of you. You know, if you just did the quick math on it, 
three times a week for one hour a day, three, three hours a week, that's hands down the most time that somebody is going to spend in front of uh, somebody who's going to give them license to take care of their body and their health and their nutrition. And uh, it blows traditional medicine out of the water. Um, so it, it's a position of extreme, extreme importance and extreme responsibility. And I do think it can be a career. The, the aspect of coaching that I do not think is sustainable, nor do I think it can be a career forever is the, I roll up to somebody else's gym and I coach two or three hours a day and make 25 to 30 bucks an hour. And that's, that's what I do forever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that that's what you can do forever. It's that's the only thing that you do. Now, if there's other things that you do, secondary sources of income, you've gone beyond this hourly coaching wage and you've created amazing scale outside of uh, the gym or you have a digital product or whatever, or you're crushing the private training game in a way that is um, uh, uncommon, you can certainly take that and put it together into a, a pretty nice career in which you can make some great money and have great sense of fulfillment and find out and figure out what success means to you in, in that way. But in terms of just, I'm a coach at somebody else's gym and I show up, like I said, for two or three classes a day and I go home and that's all that I do. And I am also trained to be in the games. That's not a career, man. That that's a recipe for waking up at 35 years old and looking at your your bank account and your significant other and being like, I'm fucked. <laughs> that that that's not I, I get really worried about that, that people get really comfortable and I don't want to say waste time. It's not a waste of time, but you could be making better use of some of that time or setting yourself up for success in the future. So, you know, the coaching, coaching for me, it's still what I do. I, I coach coaches now more than I coach athletes, but I, I do, I am still involved in the, the process of coaching athletes, but this is the route that I chose and I chose to make it a career, but I, I didn't, I, I didn't take the path of, I'm going to go and open my own gym. I didn't take the path of, I'm going to, uh, take my coaching hours and add personal training into it and then try to become a entrepreneurial personal trainer. I, I, I kind of took the path of, I, I wanted to get to the top of the coaching profession or at least where I saw it and then figure out what opportunities were there for me, whether or not it was an organization like NC fit or an organization like CrossFit HQ or an organization like Reebok and be able to make my decision from there. And, and, uh, you know, fortuitously, I ended up uh, with NC Fit and and going this route. But it can be a career if you're looking at it in the right way and putting the requisite work into it and building something bigger than just the twenty to forty bucks that you're going to take home coaching a class. I love the way you said that. You know, it's it's it's. I mean. It's not the way that I, I, I'm being honest with you. It's not the way that I perceived it when I saw it on your Instagram. It's not the way that I perceive it when I hear Stu talk about it and I give him shit all the time. <laughs> it's, it, you're speaking to um, the entry level position as a coach is coaching classes. Yes. It just is. You don't have to yes. like it. You can be out there like, no, 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 no. You don't understand how much work I put into coaching classes. I'm great at it. Awesome. It's entry level. It just is. And it's only worth X number of dollars unless you get a job at Peloton where you can be the popularity winner and make a few hundred bucks a class. But then it becomes how long you can do that for. You're effectively a professional athlete who's not being paid like a professional athlete with the lifespan of a professional athlete, potentially. We'll see where that all goes. But I love the way that you just said it. It's you have to evolve what you're doing as a coach in order to stay a coach. Coaching classes forever is not how you're going to evolve. So that, that kind of kills the fun I wanted to have with having this discussion. <laughs> I, told, I told you, I think, we see, I think we see this a little bit more um, uh, congruently than you might have thought. You know, it, 
some of the stuff that I say, man, I, I, I do it to catch some eyes and, and make sure that people are listening. And, you know, I, I, I do think that obviously coaches out there, and if you turn out to be the best coach to ever do it, there is no doubt, even coaching classes, if you're the best coach to ever do it, there's no doubt that other opportunities are going to start to present themselves around you. And you're going to be able to navigate this kind of decision tree to work your way up the ladder. But, but, the but, if, you coach, but if you coach classes, it's probably the decision tree is probably going to take you to teaching other people to coach classes as well. It could, it could, but it also, it also could lead you to a conversation like you had with the guy in Hong Kong, right? Like, you know, you are in a unique position where you're in front of 10 to 20 people per hour, let's say, who are enamored with you and who look at you as somebody who's charismatic and maybe professional and knows how to handle people and can talk, uh, can public speak uh, very well and all these things. And, and, and there could be something that arises from doing your job exceedingly well that is so outside of the realm of anything that we've discussed here just by the happenstance of one of your members looks at you and goes, I'm going to take this person and I'm going to put them into this position here and I'm going to watch them just destroy it. I'm going to, I'm going to give them all the tools. I'm going to show them how the skills that they currently have as a coach, and I'm going to give them the tools in this specific industry and I'm going to let them run with it. That's a reality. I don't think it's uh, necessarily necessarily like a common thing, but that certainly doesn't fucking happen. If you're showing up to the gym in dirty sweatpants and showing up late, that person who's that high powered CEO is looking at you and they're going, yeah, this guy gives me a great workout, but, uh, He would never, he, I could never see him doing anything beyond that. Well, what you're speaking to there is a career outside of coaching, which is also okay, but it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the belief that life is a job interview. You know, like I, I own my company. I'm not looking to go get a job with anybody else. I still treat every interaction like a job interview because there might be somebody there who says, Hey, I want to partner with your company. And that's valuable too. And it might, I was out to dinner last night with my wife and somebody walked over to the table because they knew somebody who knew me, who had talked about me and they recognized me from it. And if I had, if that they knew me was, yeah, and he's a huge dick, (laughs) then they probably don't walk over to me and nothing came of it last night, but who knows what that person does for a living, what company they own, how they want to partner. Yeah. So Okay, perfect. So then let's let's continue on the segue of the coaching thing. That's one good. of the one of the issues that I see with with a lot of coaches, especially if I'm going to speak straight up about it in CrossFit, is there's and I know that you don't represent CrossFit. I just know that you also worked on seminar staff. Yeah. Is everything can be fixed through CrossFit? That's a belief. Every you know, look if if you're not fit, if you have a, a knee issue, a back issue, an ankle issue, we can modify for everybody. Yeah, my belief is the person who is being modified for more often than not would rather not be modified for. They'd rather be just doing the thing. It's way less cool to show up and be like, yeah, so you can't do the thing again today. Let's, <laughs> let's give you something different because you're special. Yeah. What do you think about how the coach needs to evolve their skill set to be able to truly maximize their value? Uh, this is this is a big conversation. This this one's I think's got a lot of layers. Um, oh, it does. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of layer. There's a lot of layers to this one. Um, I, I think I think for the most part, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the the way that <clears throat> CrossFit HQ um, would look at uh, the issues of an athlete who are coming into the gym. Um, it would it would it would tell you that within the system you have the solution, right? And that you are able to take these movements or these movement patterns and you could uh, de-escalate them to uh, the lowest common denominator and essentially put anybody through a CrossFit workout, or you can escalate them to the highest degree and you could put anybody on that end of the spectrum through a CrossFit workout. And this is where you have, the, the needs of the athlete vary by degree, not by kind, right? That's the old Glassmanism where it's your grandma and the Olympian can be doing the same workout. They would just look very different. 
I do believe that. I, I do think that that there is some merit to that and that you can implement the program that way and be effective if that's what you want to do. And, and there's a lot of gyms out there who are very successful in doing that. There are also a lot of gyms and a lot of coaches out there who completely botch that whole idea and will not administer the charter in a way that makes sense for these people or in a way that's dynamic enough to keep them engaged, If especially if on the lower end of the spectrum where you can run into those issues that you were talking about, where it is completely boring or completely defeating or offers them not a lot of insight into a path that they might be able to have to whether it's um, greater range of motion or uh, accessing new movement patterns or evolving the movement to a point where they feel like they're participating in the program. Well, my, my thoughts as to what you're describing are, I agree. It can, yeah. it can be done. It's just yeah. that on a scale of good, better, and best, it is at best good. And, and what, what, I, what I'm saying there is we talk about I've, – I've seen the idea that like we can measure range of motion through watching people move and then make modifications. And I would argue, no, you can't. You're, mm -hmm. you're measuring the way that somebody coordinates a list of ranges of motion and puts them into motor control. And then you're modifying their ability to make that coordination. You're not actually understanding where the limitations come from, just understanding that they don't have the full. The other side of it is – Grandma and the Olympian can be in the same class, without a doubt, if they're both there to sweat. But if Grandma and the Olympian have specific goals towards what Grandma wants and what the Olympian wants, then sweating needs to be a part of it for this class to be beneficial for either of them. Do you, do you follow what I'm describing? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think some of this gets into, you know, and I, I don't know everything that uh, active life does and, and how I you don't. guys look at, at things. No, I don't, Come on. but, um, I'm willing to learn. I, <laughs> I, I've been offered, I've been offered to take the course and I, I will have to take you up on that, but, um, be careful. I, Seminar staff who take the course end up buying a lot of stuff afterwards. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I'm no longer on that team, so oh, you don't good. have to worry about safe. that. Um, I, but I, I do think some of this comes down to ultimately the experience that you want to provide your athletes and, and what you're telling them you're going to provide and what you want to stand for in the fitness space. And I think that you can do it exceedingly well on, let's call it more of the CrossFit side. And if you're telling your athletes, Hey, this is what, this is what you're going to get out of this program. You're going to get the, this group class experience. This is our charter we're looking to help, um, you know, in, in increase your work capacity across broad time and mobile <laughs> domains. If, if that's if that's what you want to say that you do for people through these workouts and the stimulus, then that's fine. I, I also think that on the other side of the equation that that you could break things down a little bit more for people, and you could administer a program that does take into account a little bit more of the movement evaluation side of things and better understanding how everything is working within this very complicated system and break it down into parts and pieces and give people more specific direction based on education that you have as, as uh, being a doctor of uh, chiropra uh, chiropractics, right? Formerly. Yeah. Formerly, for, formerly, but you can take that knowledge and apply it and create a gym and an experience in a program that people enjoy equally to the one on the other side of the equation. I, I don't really look at them as better or worse. I, I, I just tend to look at them as being different. That's and, fair. That, that's, yeah. that's fair. And, and I, I don't mean to um, minimize the value of what goes into a really good and well-executed group class. What I'm describing is the group class that, that's administered in that environment is the best thing in the world for somebody for whom that group class is the best thing in the world. For sure. And it's, it just takes the, the, um, I guess the critical eye of the ownership to look at their own business and say, who should come here and who shouldn't, how should we service people? How shouldn't we service people? What do we need to tell people before they decide that they want to buy this? Those kinds of things. Mm. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that 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 discussion probably can get we could probably nerd out on that a bit in terms of, um, you know, what responsibility do people have in terms of educating their members on what's actually going on or do they have responsibility? And if you're saying that, hey, listen, that this experience over here on the CrossFit side of the equation, we're going to pretend that this is the black box. Mm -hmm. And within that black box, we don't really know what the fuck goes on, but we're going to take you and we're going to put you and you're going to kind of run through that black box at day after day, after day, after day. And then on the other side, you're going to be quote unquote fitter for it. You're going to look better. You're going to feel better. You're going to, all these things are going to get better about your life. Is, is that enough? Is that, is that responsible enough? Is that something that, the owner of the gym even has responsibility to explain to the athletes, or is it enough to say, these are our workouts. This is our schedule. This is how we do things. We're going to usher you along this journey. We're going to start you off a little slower. We're going to teach you some of these movements. As you get a little better with the movements, we're going to show you how to increase some of the speed or the load or the intensity of some of these things. And you know, your journey is going to come along that way. And eventually you're going to be doing things that you thought you never could do before. That's, that I think is valid in some senses where I think, I think there is this disconnect between what I kind of am looking at as being quote unquote, okay. And what I just described is when people just don't, don't give a fuck and they just, they don't pay attention to who is in the room and what's going on. And then they just, and this is the workout up here on the whiteboard and pick your weights. And I don't care about what your background is, what your history is, how long you've been training here, what your limits or how are you currently feeling? And let's just start this workout in five minutes. So do the warm, let's head out for a 400 meter run and get your weights in the bar and let's go. That's fucking irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And I think we all can agree about, with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you've been a great guest. I feel like you're the kind of guest who I could have said, Matt DeLaval, please share with people your unique belief in fitness. And then I could have just shut it down and let you talk for now. <laughs> and it would have been a good, it would have been a good show. So I appreciate you coming on with me. Is there oh, anything is there anything that you want to impart on the audience before I let you go besides where they can find you? Make sure to tell them that too. Yeah, I will. I will. Um, no, I, this was a pleasure, man. I, I know that uh, you and I do have some different beliefs on some stuff. And I think that at some point we should, we should have a bigger conversation. We could talk through some of these things. And I, I really enjoyed today's conversation. So thank you for having me. Um, if I could impart one thing on, on, I guess the people who are listening here and mostly I'm going to uh, angle it towards the coaches who are listening would be, you know, I'm going to take a page out of your book would be term pro. And that's something that uh, I know that you're big on. I really appreciate that you're big on that. I think that's one of the most important things that coaches out there can do. Uh, not only should you pick up Sean's book, but right. you should also pick up Stephen Pressfield's book of a similar title and you should read that and make that your Bible and uh, really understand what that means to, to be a professional in this space. Yes. The similar title is Turning Pro, yes. which, which I've been asked maybe 7,000 times how that, <laughs> how that book influenced me. And I'm like, I haven't read it. I didn't even know it was a thing when I came out with the hashtag. I just copied Adrian Conway at a seminar. Uh -huh. telling, we were at a seminar for Brute in Utah. And uh -huh. an athlete at the seminar was like, I want to go to the games. Um, and I'm constantly butting up against this, this, and this. What, what do you recommend I do? And Adrian was like, got to turn pro man. Like if you don't turn pro, you're going to find yourself as an amateur. Then, and it, like you turn pro before you become a pro. And after seminar, I pull him aside. I'm like, yo, I want to steal that. Can I, can I steal that? And he's like, he's like, yeah, go for it. So that's where I learned it. And then people are like, Oh, there's this book. I'm like, Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a fantastic book. I'll, I, I have a ton of copies. I've been recommending that book to people for years and years and years. And, um, both, Turning Pro and uh, The War of Art are both amazing books and talking about professionalizing what you're doing, especially if you're in like a quote unquote non-traditional career and this idea of how this thing called the resistance can start to work against you and you need to rise above. Uh, it's, a, it's a really great book. I would love to grab a copy of your book and uh, I will buy a copy because I want to support you. So I, I appreciate it. I was going to say, I'll send you one, but you're welcome. To Please do not yourself. send me. I'll, I want to buy one. That's a deal. Um, yeah. Matt, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Uh, that's where you can find most of what I'm doing, whether it's uh, 
NC fit related stuff, or if it's podcast related or tattoo related, I'm talking about all those things on that channel. And then every Tuesday, new episodes of the intro with MDV, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I will tell you, I don't follow more than a hundred people. MDV found himself in that, uh, in that mix oh. of a hundred and, and <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm keeping you there. I like it. You, you share great I appreciate stuff. that. You're thank you very much, Sean. Matt, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now. Time to